Hello and welcome to The Art of Self-Belief, hosted by me, Estella Edwards. This podcast is about the power of self-belief. What you think about is what you become. And this podcast will teach you how you can overcome the challenges you may face in your life and career. With over 30 years of experience in passionately championing women and diversity in the workplace, it felt only right to create a platform where we can hear from women who excel in their field. And I'll be chatting to them about their triumphs and how they've navigated the obstacles along their path to success. My signature program, The Art of Self-Belief with Estella Edwards, is all about helping women to learn and develop the mindset, skills and tools necessary to lead from within. I celebrate the incredible achievements of women in leadership, covering the wide breadth of intergenerational industry experience. With the help of my inspiring guests, The podcast will shed light on how to implement self-belief in a modern world. So listen out for some key tips, tricks and anecdotes to help you do just that. So let's get started. And today we have with us the insightful Janet Douglas. Before we begin... Janet Douglas is a a multi-award winning social entrepreneur working with young people, Feed My Creative, CIC, works with adults, demonstrate ways that we can become more sustainable with fabrics, aims to reduce waste. Janet is also listed as one of the 55 UK's most inspiring entrepreneurs. Janet, it's wonderful to know you and to have read about you. Your profile is huge. For those who don't know you, who are you and what has your journey been like in business? Um, so who am I? I spin a lot of plates. Mm. <laughs> That's who I am. I spin a lot of plates. Um, I'm a mom. I'm a grandma. Um, I'm an ex-teacher. Um, I've been creating for well over 30 years. Wow. As well. Um, my background is fashion and textiles. And I just kind of left that. And I've done quite a few things um, before I got to where I'm at now. But I've always been a creative. Always. What's a creative? Someone that makes things in different ways. Um, Because my background is with fashion and textiles, I've always worked with materials anyway. Um, Learned to sew. I was making clothes from when I was still at school. Um, We didn't even have textiles as an option. So I don't even know how I got into fashion in the first place. Um, But I've always made or created something, I've always designed something. I've so you're a creator. Yeah. yeah. And my parents are creative as well, so still still are, really. So. so 
So before you got ranked as top 55 in business or entrepreneurship, so you started in textiles and then you've navigated your way into enterprise. So did you always have that belief that you were going to be in enterprise? What's your story? Um, I think once I got my degree, I was a freelance designer for years. Um, so I always wanted to work for myself anyway from when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 onwards. Um, but the problem that I had or problems that I faced was there's this concept that if things are handmade or they cla- or you can make clothes, they class you as a dressmaker. And I was just, I'm not a dressmaker, I'm a qualified designer. Um, but people have this concept that if it's handmade, it should be cheaper. When it's not. So let's just qualify what a designer is because that's a point and maybe this is just something that you can educate our listeners on. Yeah, so I've got a degree in fashion textile. So I would design, I would create the patterns from measurements, um, take your measurements, I'd make you something that's bespoke, that's just for you. Um, And that's what is, it's something where you're, you're creating a designing for a specific need or person or an event or something like that. You know, if you're looking at furniture, somebody has to design the furniture first. If you're looking at um, programs, somebody's got to design a program. So you've got to, there has to be that that element before something's actually made. There has to be a plan for it. And so I, I guess at least our audience then now understand the difference with a designer designing... And it's a specific skill and it's bespoke. Yeah. You came from a non-business background. How did you educate yourself to start one? You still, you work your way through it. Um, When I first started up Feed My Creative, I was on a entrepreneur's programme, School of of Social Entrepreneurs, um, and I was recommended to apply for that. And that's to help start up businesses and you'd have to do some training or you'd go through some kind of course to be able to show you different elements of business and what you'd need to be able to do as a social entrepreneur. So for our listeners, so if you're directed to School of Entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. tell us a bit about what that is then. Because so it there may was, be something yeah, else. Yeah, there was there was access. a grant that was attached to it. Um, I mean it's been reduced considerably since I started on there in 2016. But they would have guest speakers, there'd be templates for you to use in, you know, how to measure your social impact, how to look at how to get funding, what kind of legal structure would you need? Are you going to be a community interest company? Would you be a charity? Would you um, go in the direction of just being a limited company? So it's looking through all the different structures of what kind of business that you'd have, who you want to be working with, Um, what your aims, objectives are, and it's just working through that process to know that you're going in the right direction. So is that a two-month course? Is it...? It was for um, just under a year. So I'll say a year, um, and there's just different... It's not like every single week you'd have to go and everybody gets together once every... I think it was every month or couple of months that you would have to meet up and we'd have a full day of different 
things that are going on. So to access, so School of Entrepreneurs, so do you have, is there a form that you, because that's just really good for our audience just to know your roots. That's yeah. the first time that they, that's come um, out. They, they put their programme out once a year, so you'd have to apply for it. Um, and they only take on a set amount of people for that. Um, usually their cohorts, or well, they advertise with their cohorts normally, I think it's about March or April um, for it to start. Um, September, I think it was. So September, was it June? I can't, I can't remember the dates because it's been a while. But yeah. there's a process you have to go through and you have to go for an interview. Um, and... Th- so you've got to follow the process, like as if you was applying for a job or anything. Okay. You've got to do the application form and you've got to do a pitch as well. So you pitch in front of um panel from School of Social Entrepreneurs that was sponsored by Lloyds Bank, um, lottery funded as well. I don't know the process of who they're funded yeah, through but... now, but at that time, mm-hmm. um, when I had to pitch my idea of what my business was and what I wanted to do, there was 12 people around the table. Which is quite frightening. Wow, but you did really well. That was the very you got first. The yeah, it was the very first pitch that I had, and I think what helped me is because I had product as well. I was able to bring things as examples and show them this is the kind of thing that I'd be doing with young people. Um, this is what it's made from. Um, this is the history behind. So everything that I had had a story. Ah, oh, so that's interesting. So for our viewers listening, then that there's process that you could go through School of Entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and it would educate you because clearly what you've talked about there is the whole business startup formation, legal structure, pitching. That means it enables you to be very clear on what your purpose is, your what and why, and also puts you in that... um, space where you have to convey convey that to a, a mm-hmm. panel as well. So how did you find moving from, as you said earlier, a textile teacher um, in secondary school of 10 years and concentrating on full-time business after that, that, that learning or whilst you was learning at the School of Entrepreneurship? It was, I mean, School of Social Entrepreneurs, it was the, the first year. So I only set up uh, Feed My Creative in 2016. So I was still teaching at the time. Full, well, I had the idea before I went full t- part-time, sorry. Mm. So I was head of textiles at a school. Um, there was a lot of things that I wasn't happy with the education system anyway. Um, and a lot of things had happened that year to help me decide, right, I am going to set up a business. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to set up a business. Um, So when I had the idea, I actually wrote it all down, 1st of January 2016, and kind of ran with it after that. So So what were the actual steps, teacher, that you (laughs) took to turn that into a reality? Um, Well, when I'd decided that I wanted to come out of teaching, I didn't really have a conversation with somebody at all, not my family, with anyone. I went into school one day, um, one of my colleagues annoyed me quite a bit, and then I made that decision right there and then, I've had enough and I need to leave. And I went and I gave the head teacher my notice 
gave him three months' notice. And I started planning the kind of thing that I wanted to do. I hadn't even got a name for the business then, but I knew the kind of thing that I wanted to do. Because originally I wanted to set up a creative alternative provision. Um, because there's a lot of people, a lot of young people, that just, they don't fit in with education. It's not for them. They want different ways to be able to um, be creative or try something new. Um, and it was to give them a platform where they can almost be themselves without feeling like there's all this data and you can find to a classroom with too many students in there. You know, you don't want to be in a classroom with 30 students or 25 or something like that. So I wanted to have small groups to be able to work with young people. So um, I tested out a few ideas. Um, my son, I, I mention my son all the time because one of the reasons why I set up the business in the first place as well. Tested out an idea with him and his friend, who's both of them 16, 17 at the time. And my son says to me, stop talking about it and just write it down. And that's 1st of January 2016. I wrote down that idea. And I've never turned back since. I mean, the one thing that I wanted to do was create an exit out of teaching, because I knew I'm not going to leave my job just like that, because I have a family, I have a mortgage, I've got bills that I needed to pay. I'm not going to do something as drastic as just leave my job, set up a business with no, no money backing me. Um, so I had to make the plan. And as you go through a plan, it's, it's like biting a slice of cake. You're not going to put it all in your mouth at one time. You're going to take little, little bite-sized pieces. And that's what I was doing, is taking little bite-sized pieces, testing out things, um, seeing how it worked, doing some trial workshops, see how that worked as well. And it just kind of just escalated. I guess what you're talking about there, it's the, it's almost like we'd say a focus group or you're piloting mm. your idea yeah. and generating more ideas so that you can look at that whole implementation. Yeah. So the fire in your belly... So someone annoyed you. What does that mean? Because obviously that conversation, I'm going to call it fire in your belly, which may have been <laughs> the gentle nudge that you've never took back since. Yeah, that was... Um, briefly going into that year, 2015 was a very difficult year. There was so much going on personally. Um, at one point I'd had a slip disc and sciatica at the same time. So I was struggling in terms of just even being able to drive. So a 20-minute journey into work took me 45 minutes. And I don't want to name names. I don't want to name the school because then it'd be obvious who I'm talking about. But the, the person in question, um, I just felt like he kind of insulted me in front of students. Um, and I didn't like that because there's a way to be able to, to talk to somebody professionally mm. without feeling like you're undermining them, whether or not there's... I'm not a person that likes hierarchy anyway. Just because you might be in a, a higher position than me doesn't mean that you have to talk to me like that, because when you're working in education as well, young people, they see a lot. And if you talk to somebody a specific way, especially with teachers then it almost kind of gives them reason to say, well, I, if you can talk to her like that, I can talk to her like that. Um, 
So, yeah, I wasn't happy at all. And I thought, you know what, I can't do this anymore. And I went to the head teacher and had a conversation and said, that's it, I'm done, I'm out. And it's not even so much I was done, I was done, done. And what did that do for your your self-belief, your inner confidence, what you're describing there? You know what, I actually felt better for it. I thought, this is, I can't believe I've done it. And the weekend, I'm almost like running around the house thinking, what the have you done? <laughs> Are you crazy? So you running around, was that with joy? Was it, it, was, with... it was like a multitude of emotions <laughs> because I didn't have another job lined up either. And as a teacher, you've got deadlines to hand in your notice anyway to be able to leave at the end of that term. And this was like two, three weeks into the start of the, the autumn term. So they've only just gone back in September and I've already decided, you know, I've had enough, I'm, I'm going. So even when I'd actually left, I was um, head of my subject, mm. full-time. And then I was actually headhunted for another school, but it was part-time. And I was thinking, you know, I can't do this. How can I go from, you know, a, a decent position that paid quite well to something that's going to be less than, well, about half of what I've been earning? But... I thought, you know what, I'll just run with it, see what happens. I'll just, just, whatever happens, happens, and I can always do supply. So, um... So you yeah. fundamentally reframed and changed your mindset then? Yeah. To... I had to. OK, I had to. Because with teaching, any teachers that are out there, teaching can be quite stressful. It can be really rewarding, but it can be really stressful. And the hours that you put in and... The, all the work that you have to do is a lot of admin work. And I just felt like I couldn't be as creative mm. with my students as I wanted to be. I went into teaching because I thought I wanted to teach young people things that I knew. And I, I loved college. College was fun. I preferred college to when I was doing my degree. And I wanted to make sure that anybody that was creative in any kind of way, that they enjoyed the process. And I wasn't enjoying it. Every year there was a different change and it's all about data and this tick box exercise. And, and I was like, you know what, no, I can't, I can't do this. So what did you actually then do when you moved from... OK, so you shifted your thinking mm -hmm. and you had all these struggles that you were saying. What type of things did you do to... And what, how were you supported? Because you had a slip disc. And you said it was a real busy year and you were starting a business. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, emotionally, there was a lot going on. Um, and you just have to, you have to find a way. And as a parent as well, um, I knew that my kids are looking up to me and I had to be, it's that thing about being strong. You've got to be strong for your kids you know, they, they need to see you having your weekdays because mum's not a superwoman. So they need to see that, you know, there are days that I'm going to feel a bit broken. Um, but I had to get on with it because so, I had a plan. OK, so you've got on with it. For our listeners then, what type of... So did you have a routine? Well, because I, the, the one thing that I like to do, I like to write things down. Because once you've written it down, you've written it into existence. Because even if it doesn't happen straight away, it's going to happen eventually. So when I'd wrote down and got the idea of the, even the name, I wrote down 
everything that I wanted Feed My Creative to be about, who I was going to work with, the kind of things that I would do, the kind of equipment that I needed, where I wanted to be located. I wrote everything down. And even teaching part-time, I knew financially it wasn't enough. My stress level has reduced considerably because I'm working part-time. I'm not working full-time anymore. And I'd said to myself, I'm not even taking schoolwork home. I'm not marking it on the evening because the evening is my time with my family. So what you did and what I heard then is you yeah. put some, I call it the three Bs. <laughs> you went back to basics. Yeah. <laughs> you then put some boundaries, so mm-hmm. some parameters around your part-time role. Yeah. You also had clear goal marked out. So yes, when we write things down, research tells us that you, you speak things into existence mm-hmm. <laughs> and or indeed that things do naturally manifest mm. when you have everything written down and then I guess you then have that routine with your family as well. Yeah. yeah, because once you've written things and you know the kind of things that you're aiming towards, you just start implementing it and doing it little bits at a time. Not, I'm not going to tackle everything, but I knew that there's certain things right, I need to do this and this has got to work around school and I was still going to be able to support my eldest while he was going to college. And there were so much things that were going on. I had to make sure that I could manage everything without overloading myself. So right now we're in um, difficult economic times. What advice would you give to women... <laughs> who are in their infancy stage of business and could sometimes be struggling, you know, like with families, etc. What what advice would you give to them now you've walked through that journey of setting up, transitioning? Try not to do everything all at the same time. Um, you've really got to pace yourself and... You know, it's okay not to have a a solid plan, but it's good to have a plan because things can change. We all know that things have changed considerably and, you know, the, the ball can drop at any, any minute because it happened to me as well. But it's writing down the kind of things that you want to, you want to achieve and you have a what if. You've got, always got to have a black up plan as well so even if there's something in particular that you wanted to do if that doesn't happen what could you do instead don't look at everything being a problem you know for every problem they must be a solution somewhere so have a plan a and a plan b and if your plan b doesn't work have a plan c but it's good to have different avenues just in case one area doesn't work and it's a case of you know sometimes things may not go to plan but that's okay you just Sometimes it's like with um, a computer mm-hmm. or your phone. If your phone or computer crashes, everyone goes, ah! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what do you do? You just reset it. And I always look at things as you don't take a step backwards, take a step sideways and pause. And all you need to do is just press the reset button and reevaluate and think, okay, well, what could I have done different? What could I do better? What could I do next? But it's just resetting, taking that time to reflect and think what you've got to do or how you can go about it, who you can speak to, 
before you just have a, a complete panic and a meltdown. Even though it's okay to have a meltdown once in a while, um, but don't look at anything as a step backwards, it's a step sideways and you've pressed pause to reflect. Did you always believe in your own natural ability to, like, where you are now, Janet, you know, ranked at top 55 in your industry, in enterprise... Did you always believe that you'd get there? No. And it's even magic hearing you say that, one of 55, it's just crazy. Because that's actually happened twice. First in 2020, and that was during lockdown as well. So that was a bit of a mind explosion. And then again this year. But I've never always believed in myself. I always felt like I could do more, I could be doing more. Um, what made you not believe in yourself? I just, I just didn't think like I was doing enough. I don't know why, um, but it's the same, you know, because I've won awards and, you know, I must be doing something right because people are acknowledging, well, you know, Janet's actually, she's she's done this and she's good at it and, you know, this is why I'm mompreneur of the year or creative business of the year. But it's almost like having those trophies and the certificates being there, it's like, yeah, but I still feel like I could be doing more. I don't feel like I'm doing enough. Um, do you and that, feel like you're enough? I do now, because if I'm not my own biggest cheerleader, how can I expect anybody else to be? And that turning point was, um, it was, yeah, it was during 2020, and I was encouraged to apply for, so there's an award called the Precious Awards, mm -hmm. and it's national awards, and I was encouraged to self-nominate, so I did. But I didn't nominate myself because I wanted to win. I didn't even want to be a finalist. It wasn't, it was, that wasn't the end goal. For me, I'd needed to write down everything that I'd done since I'd started in 2016, what I've achieved, um, what I've done with my boys, and just everything. And I looked at it as a journal page. Oh, nice. So I thought, if I write it down like I'm writing to myself, this is what you've done. Janet, you've actually done a good job and reel off everything. And that's how I had to write that down, because that was... I had to do it for me. So it was a more self-actualization process for yourself? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I had to do that. And when I became a finalist, I was like, this is great. So I was happy with that anyway, because, you know, I had to believe in myself that, you know what, you've done all of this... You've gone for all these things, especially with that year as well. I'd had um, two breast cancer scares. Um, I changed location. Um, there was so much going on, again. And when I found out that I'd actually won it, out of all the awards that I've had, that one, other than the one that I won when my mum was right by my side, this one meant the most because that was the moment where I said, you know what? Imposter syndrome can do one. <laughs> Basically, yeah. And to win that one, nice. yeah. That one for me was that moment when I said, you know what? Yeah, girl, you're doing good and you need to pat yourself on the back. And that kind of changed my mindset quite a bit. You, when you just went, imposter syndrome, mm. goodbye. Yeah. You just introduced a term. Mm. So tell us. 
So imposter, Where the imposter syndrome, yeah, it's goodbye. Just, uh, by the way, congratulations yeah. for your precious award and and also just taking the time to reflect on you, Janet. But just because you just went, bye, imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because obviously there was something limiting there. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it is that thing about not believing in yourself that even though people can tell you you're doing good, you're doing great, and you just don't believe it yourself. And, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. Um, the amount of men and women that I've come across across the years that still don't believe in themselves, and they're doing a great job, they're doing a fabulous job, but they still don't believe that what they're doing is enough or potentially is good enough as well. And it's, it's almost like you've got to change the narrative. And start. So who's got to change that narrative? The only person that can do it is yourself. Absolutely, because you are right that 90% of women, um, it was a survey by, excuse me, yeah, research by Hub, 90% of women suffer with uh, imposter syndrome. They feel that they are inadequate. Mm -hmm even if they're talented. Um, and that's then also for women of race, <laughs> that that's exasperated mm. as well in terms of different environments as well. And so when you're saying about changing the narrative, so what's the narrative? It's the way that you perceive things. So our things that you say, yeah. yeah. So our perception is us creating a reality. Mm. So for our viewers listening, what you're saying there, Janet, is what we think is what we create. Mm. Because imposter syndrome, yes, that there are two aspects to it, and it can be real if a person's going into an environment and you are the first. Mm -hmm. So, yes, in that instance. And if it's a, a thing that you think, you're thinking, so some say it's stinking thinking. <laughs> it really yeah. is, though. Yeah. And that's something as a, a step that you've just outlined that you actually did some reflection and actually did something quite creatively, wrote an award outlining your journey. Yeah. Because you're the only one that really can tell people about your journey and what you've done. You know, other people can nominate you, but can they say it as well as you? It's your story, you've lived it. And as hard as it was, Self-nominating, people encourage it all the time. You know, self-nominate. If you see an award that you feel, you know what, I think that I could, I could win that. Write the application, submit it, you never know. And what else happened after that? So you were you became a finalist? Yes, and then I won it. Oh, as and well. then you won yes, it. Oh, I won right, it. Okay. Yeah, it was uh I'll show you it was creative business of the year. Um and, you know, I waited probably about three months for that trophy to come. And then when it came, I literally burst into tears. 
<laughs> why are you crying? But it was like, it, because it meant so much because that was my acknowledgement for myself in what I've done in, in those four years. And it was a big deal. So, yeah. So is there any tips that you'd share with our listeners now, even in that reflection with yourself, any tips that you would share with them about when they're thinking? Just write things down. It's always good to write things down because even if you're going to apply for um, an award, have a bank of words, you know, what's your intro you know, you're telling a story. If you're writing something about yourself, there's always going to be an opportunity or an occasion where somebody needs a profile about you. Just write everything down. Have little, um, in, even in your notes on your phone or on your desktop, have a folder that you've got all these little bits about everything that you do. Because um, if anybody asks you, then you just cut and paste and put it in there. Just write. Is it, it as there. easy as all of that? <laughs> it's not, because writing about yourself is actually quite hard. Um, but the more you do, even if you're writing applications for, like, if I've had to do it for funding, or um, if you're, you're rock contacting somebody because um, they want to know more about what you do for a potential contract, all that information is relevant. You know, rather than reinventing the book, you've got a lot of things that you can potentially cut and paste, and it's not plagiarism or taking it from somebody else. It's the work that you actually do. So that's a good idea. So what you're saying is reflect on yeah. any applications, I guess any job applications yeah. or maybe any volunteering. Yeah. You're saying... Just keep I a guess bank. We, we call yeah. it a bank yeah. portfolio. Yeah. Because yeah. you're writing about you. And even if it's just um, a paragraph, some things only want, like there's a word count you've got to write something in 200 words. So write it in 200 words, write it in 500 words, and then write it again in 1,000 words, maybe. You've got to, or probably not even 1,000, but if you say like 100 words, 200 and 500. And at least that way, if somebody just asks for a sentence, you've got a sentence that summarises the work that you do. And then you can go into more depth the more um, words that you put in there. But it's, it's good to have a bank. That's good, and that's really mm -hmm. a real helpful tip because maybe some people oversee that yeah. or don't think about those things. So how did you manage things, Janet, with your two scares, breast cancer scares? You've got family, children, and you're doing all the... Yeah. Yeah, the, with, with the first one, um, I didn't actually tell anyone. Um, it was the... I think I went for the... I went for the scan the day before. I think I went to an awards evening or something. I can't remember. It was the day before something. Um, and I didn't tell anyone until I'd actually come from the hospital because I didn't want anyone to worry because until I knew what it was and whether or not I needed to have any surgery or anything, I thought, well, I don't want to worry anybody because if they're worried, then I'm going to worry. And if I worry, they're going to worry, and I didn't want that. So I wanted to make sure that whatever the outcome was, that I can reassure my family that this is going to be okay, um, this is what it is, and that was it. Um, I told my son first, 
because if I didn't tell him first, and he'd be really upset with me. Um, but I had to reassure him first as well, and I had to wait till he came in from work before we even had that conversation. Um, but, yeah, family was supportive, um, and that was the January. Um, I think even round about that time, because that was 2020, that was just before, again, we went into lockdown. And I'd had an email um, that was nominated for an award. And it was um, Nakuona, which means um, I see you in Swahili, I think it was. And it was funny because me and my son actually had that conversation beforehand that I don't, I just don't feel like I'm doing enough. So it's going back to imposter syndrome. I don't feel like I'm doing enough. I feel like I could be doing more. And he says to me, his mum, people see you and they see what you're doing, even if you don't see yourself. So it's funny, we had that conversation. And then a couple of days later, I had an email to say, well, you've been nominated for a Nakuona ICU award. And I'm like, wow, somebody's trying to tell me something. <laughs> Um, and then Lower it was, yes, it was crazy. <laughs> and then I'd had that. I'd actually won the award, which I didn't know. Up to this day, I don't even know who nominated it. was for your CIC, yeah. my grade. Yeah. And then um, it was a month later, um, I found out I was a finalist for another award, which I'd won that one as well. And again, that was just before um, lockdown. Um, in the summer... I'd got the the first of the the Social Entrepreneurs Index. I'd won that one. Then I found out I was the finalist for the Great British Entrepreneur of the Year Creative Industries. And then I had the same symptoms and I had to go back to hospital again in the October for another operation for the same thing. Well, it was slightly more serious that time, but um, I made sure that I... It was actually my son that says to me... Um, I was holding my chest and he goes, Mum, is it hurting? I said, yeah, it is a bit. And he goes, go to the doctor. And I think if he didn't tell me to call the doctor at that on that day, I would have waited a few more days. Um, so it was he's the one that was encouraged me to go. And then I went and I said, right, past history, let's do the mammogram, let's do the ultrasound, let's do the biopsy. And then they'd arranged um, for the operation and then six weeks later. So what tips would you be sharing with our viewers now about get checked? Yeah, check everything. <laughs> if it doesn't feel right, doesn't look right, get and get it checked. Don't sit on something because you just never know what might happen. It's better to have it checked and it's nothing rather than it be something. And if you're working for yourself as well, my son tells me off about it all the time. You may be busy but you still got to take time for yourself. Have an outlet. I haven't got an outlet at the moment. I'm still trying to decide what I can do away from the business. But it's important to make sure you take time out for yourself. So what do you want to do? I think I actually want to go swimming. So what's stopping you from booking? I can't find a pool that I like. <laughs> but I think that's, that's something that I want to do. I want to actually want to go swimming because with my back as well, I think it'll be more helpful to do that. I don't do gyms. I get so bored unless I'm with somebody else. And I think swimming might be a way to be able to... Um, you know, Sometimes you need that moment to be calm and be at peace with yourself, not to think about anything. 
So there's something about, um, and for our viewers listening, yeah. so you you just been real and you said, actually, I haven't got that outlet yet. Mm-hmm. But there's something about maybe carving time out in your diary for you. You have to. Because time and you is the most important mm-hmm. and well-being. Because if we haven't got well-being, then then we're really not going to be enough anyway. Yeah. yeah. And you don't want to get to burnout. I've had burnout and it's not very nice. What is burnout? Well. It always, what used to always happen as soon as it hits December, because I've just worked solidly throughout the whole year, especially when I was still teaching as well. And you're just on the go constantly, not taking a break, um, because I'll be working during the day. And then as soon as it's half past three and I'm out of the school, I'm in feed my creative mode. So it's almost like I'm I'm working a 10-day week, even though it's only seven days. And you'd get to December and I'm so exhausted. It's unreal. And when you're that tired, you haven't got time to do anything for yourself. You can't really look after your family because they notice it. So, you know, mum, let's go for a walk. So I'm too tired. You can't do anything. You can't function. Um... And then you can get ill. And if you're ill while you're working for yourself, if it's just you and you haven't got a team, well, who else is going to take on the load? Nobody. So if you're sick, who's going to... Like with me now, if I'm ill, who can do the work that I'm doing? So you're a solo entrepreneur? Yeah. At the moment. At the moment. At the moment, yeah. So I've been talking about I need staff. Um, I've been talking about I need staff for a couple of years now as well. But I'm, I'm a firm believer if nothing happens before it's time. So when the timing is right, the funds will be there and I'll get the stuff that I need to be able to... And also grow. maybe part of your planning then mm-hmm. and thinking through some of the ways that maybe some of the administration, some of the things that you do can be outsourced... Oh, gosh, yeah. ..to even support this stage because I think there's something key about your well-being Mm -hmm. so what what does life look like now given that you've had a health scare things have been busy what do you do now differently um I think what I've done is I've planned ahead I always try and do things three months in advance. So you can plan ahead for the year, but I take it in bite-sized chunk and I do three months at a time. So I know what I've got to do. Um, So at the start of the year, my first plan is January to March. Mm. Then April, May, June. And then that's how I do it. So if anybody books me for any workshops or anything like that, I always say at least um, book in advance. I'm not on the lastminute.com thing. So, oh, you know, are you available next week? No, I'm not doesn't matter if I need the money or not. I try not to do it that. Because for me, it's just too short notice. I need to plan. And it's, it's kind of worked. I mean, I've got one booking for October. Nice. Um, work that I've done with the University of Birmingham. They booked me a year in advance. And I like that because I can work around it and then I can allocate time to say, well, no, I'm not going to work on that particular day. Mm. Um, not because I'm doing anything in particular, it's just because I just don't want to. 
And it's nice to be able to say, you know what, I don't feel like working today, so I'm not going to. Um, unless I've got deadlines, so that's different. But if I felt like, you know, on the on Monday, if I didn't have to go anywhere, you know, I'll do the school run and I'll just go home and I'll just chill for the day. Talking about deadlines, you've got something exciting. Do we mm. get a little snippet to at least know what's coming up? Yes, so <laughs> um, I had some funding um, earlier on this year to be part of the Birmingham 2022 festival for the Creative City. So, I mean, even how I came about that project in particular, when I look back at some of my notes, I'd actually had the idea from two years ago. Um, but it is, it's really exciting. So it's an interactive exhibition. Um, it's all about storytelling. So I've interviewed 10 people, 10 different people across the eras. Um, my mum being one of them, because I can't do a project as big as this without my mum and my family involved. <laughs> um, so they give me their favourite photograph or photographs and I make them interactive. So what I'll do is take the photographs, transfer it onto fabric and using different kinds of conductive materials. Um, I've interviewed them all. I'll take sound bites from their interviews and there'll be aspects of the photograph or the display where you can touch it, physically touch it, and you'll be able to hear them speak. Wow. So it's really exciting. Yeah. Wow. I hope people can have, uh, use their imagination to visualise. Yeah, there's a few people that says that, yeah, I don't get it. What, <laughs> you can't see like. it, but yeah. So that's between the uh, 1st and 7th of August. So looking forward to that. One of um, Feed My Creative's goals is to reduce isolation. We've just come out of some mm -hmm. real challenging times. How important do you think that this is in a post-pandemic world? I think it's always been important anyway. There's a lot of people that were isolated, that they they have nowhere to go, or they, they just don't know what to do, or, you know, they want to try something new, but they don't know where to go or who to approach for it. And, you know, since the pandemic, being creative or crafty kind of activities has kind of soared. You know, there was a time when you couldn't even buy a sewing machine because it was all sold out. You know, there's a lot of equipment you can't buy because it was all sold out because everybody was trying to make things at home and with more craft shows on TV as well. Um, it, it's kind of going back to having that outlet because sometimes when you're in your own space with your own thoughts, um, you're in your four walls and there's nothing to do, you can't go out. Sometimes you want to be able to try something new. Um, some of my sessions were done online, which I found quite difficult because I like interacting with people. And there's a difference with physical interaction where you're sat across the table talking to somebody than being online. It's not the same. You know, be able to have a laugh and a joke with somebody whilst making something, um, the kind of conversations that you can have is can be quite phenomenal. You might be talking to somebody that's gone through the same experiences as you. And it's different doing that face-to-face -face than when you've got a, a screen right in front of you. It's quite impersonal. And some people don't... They're not comfortable because they don't know if it's being recorded or... 
it's it's just important that you know people can have those interactions and in small spaces where you you're not walking in a room with 15 or 20 people because sometimes it can be quite overwhelming especially if you're not used to being around large crowds you just want a small group of people and you just talk about like-minded things and I, I, that really comes across you know like even on your your website it's mm. we just don't do just sewing but it's all about people coming together to yeah. reduce that isolation yeah. learning new skills being in that relaxed environment so it's part of your mission and your ethos yeah the opportunity to talk about common issues yeah. and experience. It has to feel like a family environment because if it's not, then I just say it might as well just be any old kind of craft um, workshop that you've booked on, you come and make something and then you go. I don't want that. I want it to be a case of, you know, people make friends. You know, I've, I've been, I've facilitated sessions and I've kind of taken a step back and I've watched the interaction. You know, I've done a session with um, a group of women from um, supported housing. So they all live in the same house and they've never had a conversation with each wow. other. And by the end of the session, because I always do up to four hours, I don't think you can do enough in one hour, but up to four hours is good. And by the end of the four hours, they'd switch numbers and they'd arrange to go shopping on the weekend. And that, for me, was it was great to see because even with, yeah, because even with feedback, I can say anything about my sessions and what people get out of it. But for me, if I say that um, it's a warm environment, it's friendly, they gain so many skills, those are my words. They're their words. Because you tell me what you get out of it and then I'll regurgitate whatever they say to me. So it's not evaluations, it's not me just saying, well, you know, because anybody can say anything. But if I'm saying that this is what participants get out of the sessions or people that I work with, it's not because I've said it, it's because that's what they've said to me. Nice. So what advice would you give to a young person who is um, suffering from loneliness? Um, I think the hardest thing is, is going out and meeting new people. But it's just, it's finding a way, you know, as I said, like having an outlet. I know it's hard to make friends, especially if you go somewhere and you don't know nobody. Um, it's finding something to do, you know, even if it's going to, I don't know, for argument's sake, an allotment. Spark a conversation with somebody, if you, if you can go there, that is. Um, go to the library. Um, I think it's finding places that you can go where there's other people. Googling events, there's lots of events that are going on now, more now than, than I've ever noticed before. Um, and it's finding what you like. Find things that you actually like to do and go to an event. Even if you're just sitting back and just observing, sometimes it's good to observe. And if you laugh, oh, actually, I quite like this, I'll go back again. And even if it's just having a conversation with just one person as well. And I think it's... Because there's so much going on online, it's get away from your phone, put your phone down, you know, forget Instagram, forget Facebook and, meet you know, people. go out and meet people. You know, there's lots of things that are opening up now. There's, I know there's a, um, 
roller skating rink that's opened up in Digba. Roller skating? Yeah. Gosh, I better take her as the producer. Yeah. <laughs> go roller skating. You know, go do do something where you could potentially have a laugh. Have a laugh and meet somebody. <laughs> that childlike play, yeah. fun, and that stirs your yeah. creativity yeah. when yeah. you just yeah. Because you get to that point where, you know, when you were at primary school, it was all about fun and play. And then it gets to that point where, right, no, you've got to... It's almost like you've got to grow up quite quickly. And once you're in secondary school, the play element stops. You know, you stop actually having fun. Well, we shouldn't really stop having fun in whatever we're doing. You've got to have fun in what you're doing, because if not, it's just... You don't enjoy anything. And it's very important to enjoy what it is that you do because that also has how you think, Mm -hmm. has that physiological effect on how you feel. (laughs) If you could go back in time, 10 years, what advice, checklist, would you give to your younger self? Um, I think one of the things I would say to myself is believe in yourself. Um, don't doubt what you're doing and give it a go. You've got to try it. If you don't try it, how do you know it's going to work? And don't have no regrets. Can't regret anything that you're doing. Um, because even if things don't work out the way that you want them to, It's a learning curve. So I think the main thing that I would have said to myself back then is believe in yourself Mm. um, and don't take every bad thing too seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any final closing words that you'd want to say? Um, Yeah. I think going back to writing everything down, Mm. um, I mean, even like with the exhibition that I've got coming up, it's called The Chapters of Our Lives. And even reflecting on that, I have every single notebook that I've written in since I set up my business. And the one that I wrote in on the 1st of January, and I always have the date, 1st of January 2016, every 1st of January, I pull out that book and I have a look at what I wrote. And I can actually tick off so many things that I said I was going to do. And I've actually exceeded some of them as well. Um, Because even in that, I'd actually put, have your own personal brand. So tell us about your personal brand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll get to that. Um, So I think even having a notebook, have your notebook and always reflect on it. You've got to always reflect on the things that you said that you wanted. Has anything changed? Um, Has anything um, gone better than you thought? And even, like, with the... Celebrate your wins. Yes, (laughs) but you have to. You have to, as I say, it's been your own cheerleader. Mm. Um, But even with the personal brand, I mean, you are your own brand. You know, your reflection of your business and everything that you're doing. And when I set up um, my personal brand because I needed to do something outside Feed My Creative as well, was on the back end of... um, I was on Kirsty's Handmade Christmas on Mm. Channel 4, and I'd actually won my episode. Well done. Tell us more. You just (laughs) threw that in. Just threw that in there, yeah. Um, And I wanted, with that, I wanted to do something that was different 
than what everybody would have seen on TV. And I was absolutely bricking it. Um, <laughs> I don't even like having my photograph taken, let alone being on Channel 4 primetime TV at five o'clock in the evening. Um, but I'd created a Christmas stocking that I'd sewn um, some lights in. So it's not the lights that you would get from a pound shop or anything like that. I'd actually created the circuit using special threads. Um, So I developed that idea and I'd had an artist recreate my drawing um, and I created two characters. Um, The one was actually based off my niece because with Christmas stockings, there wasn't anything that represented us anyway. So I've created this stocking um, after my niece and my youngest. So you've got Livy um, and Ree, who are still going to create a book around it as well. I don't know when I'm going to get to do that, but I will create a book. So the, the concept was Livy, Ree and me and the stories that you can they have and the journeys that you can take with them. And it's just about encouraging storytelling as well. So I've recreated the stockings, um, which is on my website as well. Um, I don't promote it enough, which I know I should do. But it's, promote it now. Yes. So, it's, um, so even like with Jay Douglas Creative Group, it's everything else that I do as well as Feed My Creative. So it's almost like, for me, it's kind of like my umbrella. Um, Feed My Creative came first, but Jay Douglas is any creative consultancy. If I have to do any talks, um, any freelance that I'm doing or as a contractor through Feed My Creative, you're not paying Feed you're, you're paying me to do all of that. So as a personal brand, I know I can branch off and do so many different things. I've done mentoring with it. Um, So I can still talk about the work that I do as a social enterprise and the social impact with Feed My Creative. But anything else, that's that's a Janet thing. So I know I can can switch between the two. It's either a Janet thing or it's a Feed My Creative thing. And sometimes the both of them kind of merge together. It's Janet. But Janet is also Feed My Creative as well. But it is important to have a personal brand in whatever it might be. Um, yeah, it was just important that I had that and the fact that I can tick that off now as well from 2016. Wow. Yeah. So that's a lot of tips there for yeah. everyone about journaling and demonstrating that when you write things down, have them in one mm-hmm. place, that you can always refer back to them. Yeah. And also tick them off, just celebrating your wins. Janet Douglas, thank you so much. You you are a true inspiration. And all of those awards, I can see more awards going forward. And especially the the, the work that you're doing just around that sustainability Mm. um, and the prevention of waste and all of that. So, thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode, and thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode inspiring, so please do follow, download, and review this podcast, which helps us to expand our reach. I would love you to help us to reach more listeners by taking a screenshot and tagging us on your socials, and you can find links to all my social media in the show notes. Until next time, when I'll be joined by another incredible guest, take care 
until we connect again and most importantly, take action.